So before I start, I want to remind you, if you have your booklet with you, you could go to page 43 and take notes there if you're still doing that. Um, and the following two pages after that is where you find the questions that we actually go through in our live groups. If you don't have a copy of that, we have a, a digital copy available for you uh, in a church app. All right, so for the last few months, uh, we have been going through a series based on this section of a scripture that goes from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7. And that section of a scripture is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's basically a set of teachings Jesus gave his disciples as he was preparing them to be sent into the world, to be in the world, but to be different. What Jesus is trying to do here is equip his disciples to live in such a way that people could see that they're different, that they have different values, that they have a different lifestyle that belong to a different kingdom. And that's why we call this series Upside Down Kingdom. Now today we are finishing chapter 6. And in this section, Jesus is teaching his disciples or calling his disciples to not worry. Actually, use, Jesus uses the same phrase three different times in the text. He says, do not worry in verse 25. He says, do not worry in verse 31. And he says, do not worry in verse 34. Now, if you know anything about the Bible... When the Bible repeats the same phrase over and over again, it must be important. When you repeat the same word over and over again, it must be important. Therefore, I'm asking the text two questions. Why do we worry and how do we deal with it? Why do we worry and how do we deal with it? So do me a favor just to make you uncomfortable. Look at the person next to you and ask, if you have a person next to you, and ask the person, do you worry? Go ahead. All right, just one question. No answers, just questions. All right, come back over here. So the question is, why do we worry? So let me start with this. How many of you ever heard the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Please raise your hand. You guys are so pagan. If you never heard of that song, I'm, you know, I'm not a singer, but I could read it. Just pay attention here. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. In every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you will make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlord say your rent is late. He may have, he may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. What a foolish song. <laughs> Such a fool. Can you do that? Can you actually command your emotions? Can you actually tell yourself, I'm not going to worry anymore? Can you command your heart to feel happy? It's impossible. It's foolish optimism. 
It's wishful thinking. Thanks God, then, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not telling us, don't worry, be happy, because he knows that worry is part of our reality. It's part of what makes us human beings in a fallen world. Jesus knows that we struggle with anxiety and worry all the time. Jesus knows that we don't have, we don't have the ability nor the power to control our emotions whenever we want to. Therefore, Jesus' approach is completely different. What Jesus is about to teach us here is not how we can get rid of worry because I don't think you can. What Jesus is going to teach us here is how to deal with worry whenever that comes. It's not how to get rid of worry because it's an emotion that you are going to experience, but how to deal with it. But before we learn how to deal with it, we must ask the question, what causes it? What is the root of it? Because unless we understand and believe, well, unless we understand what, the, what causes it and what's the root of it, we'll never learn how to deal with worry or anxiety, which is the same word. And I think that in the text here, Jesus shows us at least three reasons why most of us, I will say all of us, experience worry. Number one, I think that worry and anxiety, based on the text, flows from us questioning our value. Can you say value? And I think this comes from verses 25 to 27. And in verse 25, Jesus, do not worry about your life or what you will drink or eat or, what you, or your body. Do not worry about what you will wear. And in verse 26, he tells us why we shouldn't worry about that kind of stuff. And he gives us an illustration. He uses as an example birds, which is really interesting. Because he's describing a creature, something created by God, that actually has, he has to look for food, or it has to look for food. But the text says that they do not sow or reap or have to store away anything because God provides for them. And then he says in verse 26, are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much, much more valuable than they? See, the word valuable there is talking about worth. So Jesus is saying, are you not more worthy than this tiny creature? This is Jesus' argument. If God takes care of a creature without a soul, I hope you know that animals don't have a soul. If God takes care of a creature without a soul, why wouldn't he take care of you that the most valuable thing you have is your soul? This is Jesus' argument. If God takes care, takes care of a tiny creature like a bird that compares to human beings are next to nothing because they were not created in the image of God and you were created in the image of God. If God takes care of them, why wouldn't he take care of you? You are more valuable. You are way more valuable. You are infinitely more valuable than a tiny little bird. When God sees you, 
He sees himself. Because you were created in his image. So this is what Jesus is saying here, that when we experience anxiety and worry, it's either because we forget that we have value, intrinsic value, because we are created in his image, or we experience anxiety and worry because we are desperately trying to prove that we are worthy. It's either it's one of these two. We either forget or we try to prove that we are worthy. So I'm going to give you an example here really quick. How many of you guys watched the movie The Greatest Showman? All right, so the Christians raised their hand. The rest, let me ruin the movie for you. All right? This is a man, Mr. Barnum, that created this amazing show with all kinds of interesting people. And he becomes very successful, and he's gaining popularity, and he's being recognized by everyone. And people, people are saying that his show is amazing and that he is amazing. Except one person, one critic, a person that is criticizing Mr. Barnum, he says he's saying that the show was not that good and that he was not that, that good. And that kills him. And he's making him miserable. And he cannot enjoy everything that he already has. And he cannot enjoy everything that he already accomplished because of that person, that person's opinion. Somehow he managed to believe that he is not worthy enough, even though thousands of people are saying the opposite. To make the story short, Mr. Barnum continues to pursue different things just to prove that he's worthy. Until one day, this critic tells him, yeah, you're good. You are worthy of my admiration. You know what the problem was? In the midst of his pursuit, in the midst of him trying to prove that he was something, he sacrificed everything that was important. He sacrificed relationships. He sacrificed his family. He sacrificed everything he already had. Do you know why? Because he did not believe that he already had value, that he was worthy. And I think that you and I do the same thing. I think that many times because we forget that we're created in the image of God or because we are trying to prove something so people know that we are worthy, we tend to sacrifice things. We're trying to create something. And what Jesus is saying is that's the reason why you and I experience worry and anxiety. So let me ask you the question, do you have any idea how valuable you are? Can you see the image of God in you, even as a broken human being? This is the beauty about the image of God, is that even though you are a fallen creature, you have walked away from God, you are sinful still in your heart, the image of God is still there. Do you experience anxiety? Do you worry? The second thing that Jesus would say here that causes anxiety or worry is that anxiety, I would say anxiety or worry, flows from us not truly knowing our God. The problem with worry and anxiety is not an emotional problem, you know? It's a theological problem. 
Our problem with worry doesn't have to do just, it's not just connected to your emotions. It has to do with your theology. Theology, by definition, is when we study God and we know God. And what the text shows us is that the God of Christianity is a God that both provides and cares at all times. Actually, we get that from verses 28 to 32. And once again, Jesus asks the question, why do you worry about clothing? And then he uses, once again, an illustration. But this time, he talks about flowers. He talks about the flower, the flowers grow in a field, and they do not labor or spin. Now, check this out. Verse 29, it says that those flowers that don't have the ability or the potential to create beauty, they are more beautiful, have more splendor than even King Solomon. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with King Solomon, it's a king in the Old Testament that's considered to be the most wise, the most successful, the most admired kingdom, king in the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, the flowers that don't have the capacity nor the ability to make themselves beautiful are more beautiful than King Solomon. So this is Jesus' argument. If God provides for flowers, if God cares for a tiny flower, why do you worry so much about who's going to provide for you? Verse 30, will he not much more clothe you? If God cares for a plant that today we have and tomorrow disappears, as verse 30 says, will not the same God much more clothe you? So here's a, a theological word. is the providence of God. Providence of, providence of God means, simply means this, that God always provides. He always makes it happen. That's where we get the word provide from, from the providence of God. And what Jesus is arguing here is that God always provides. He always makes it work for his people. That's the whole argument that Paul has in Romans 8, 28, which is one of the most famous texts in the Bible. Because we know, he says, that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called for his purpose or to his purpose. So let me prove my point here, how God actually, even when you don't notice, even when you don't understand it, or even when you can't see it, always provides, always works providentially because he always cares. I'm going to use an illustration here that I, I, I used before, so probably one of you or two of you heard this before, okay? So I'm Colombian, and I came to the United States when I was 17, like 16 and a half, 16 three-fourths, more or less. Um, and I did not come as a Christian. But I believe that the reason why I'm preaching this sermon today, the reason why I became a pastor, even though I'm Colombian and I was not a Christian, is because of Fidel Castro. Yeah. Let me tell you why. My first pastor, the pastor that actually kind of introduced me to Christianity, was a Cuban pastor. 
a pastor that left Cuba as a non-Christian because of Fidel Castro. He comes to the United States. He gets converted. He becomes a Christian. He becomes a pastor. And he's the pastor that God gave me first, a Cuban pastor. My second pastor, I've only had only three pastors in my life. And I hope I don't get any more. My second pastor was another Cuban pastor. Isn't that crazy? A pastor that when he was in Cuba was not a Christian. And because of Fidel Castro, he left Cuba, came to the United States, and became a Christian here. Not only he became a Christian, but God called him to ministry, so he, so he became, once again, a Cuban pastor in the United States. That's the pastor that first discipled me and called me to ministry. And my third pastor is Pastor Rob, that he dresses like a Cuban. <laughs> he doesn't know that, but he does. In the providence of God, for whatever reasons, God used Fidel Castro to save me, to bring me to ministry, to make of me a pastor, to preach this sermon today. God always cares. He always provides. He always works providentially. Our problem with anxiety is not an emotional problem. Our problem with anxiety is a theological problem. We either don't know God and you need to know him, or you don't trust God and you need to trust him. What is interesting is that in the Bible, know and trust always go hand in hand. I think that this is part of the reason why we are so afraid of the future. How many of you guys worry about the future every now and then? You know why? Because for some reason, even if you have been a believer for years and years, for some reason, we still think that God is going to get it wrong. Don't know how to explain that, but that's what happens. Somehow, we think that God is going to get it wrong. Somehow, we think that he's not going to provide. Somehow, we think that he is not going to care. That's why we worry about the what if. What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? I think that that's all of us. I think that's the reality of our life. And I think that that's the reason, and I think that the devil uses that to make the Christian life miserable. I got that from C.S. Lewis in his book, in his novel, fictional letter, Screwtape Letters, which is the devil talking to, training his nephew how to make your life and my life miserable. He says this about the future. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. The enemy right there will be God, right? He wants men to be concerned with what they do. And I would say what we do today. Our business, says the devil, is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Anxiety and worry flows from us being obsessed with the future. Not being able to rest in the God that works providentially, that provides and cares. That's why in verse 31, Jesus says, do not worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. 
or drink or wear, for your heavenly Father knows what you need. And then in verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Can you say tomorrow? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. The third reason why I think the text shows us that the reason why we worry is because anxiety flows from us wanting to be in control. At the end of the day, many of us, and I will say every single one of us, worry because somehow we want to be in control. Now, listen, as human beings, we have certain control of certain things. But that control is limited. And I'll prove it to you. How many of you guys get worried right before you have to go to the doctor? Please raise your hand. Do you, the rest of you guys are lying. <laughs> the reason why we worry is because we know that we actually don't have all the control we think we have. Here's another one. How many of you guys have ever worried about the future of your kids and who they're going to get married with? You know, it's the foolishness of the human being that we think that we have control over that. I mean, you have to equip them, teach them, pray for them, do all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, we don't have much to do except that. So here, here's a, a way to see it. Picture a small circle within a larger circle. The small, the small circle represents the level of control you have, the things that you can actually control. So you can eat, you can go to sleep, you can get up, you can take a shower, you can do all of that stuff. That's your control. The outside circle represents the things that only God can control. The future, your future, the future of your kids, the future of this church, everything that you have, that you have no control of. Anxiety and worry comes when we try to control the things that we cannot control. Anxiety and fear comes when we try to control the things that only God can control. That's why worry about the future is illogical. I'm not saying that it's not real. It's just illogical. And that's why Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry, be happy, won't do it. You must learn to see the root of your anxiety and your fear. You worry, I worry, because we have this tendency to forget that we are valuable to him. You worry, I worry, because we have the tendency to forget that we are created in his image. We are worthy. You, are, you worry, I worry, because we tend to, to forget who God is. And we have a hard time trusting God in the midst of problems. You worry and I worry because we forget that God cares. God provides and God works providentially. You worry and I worry because we don't like the fact that we're not in control. He is in control. Do you worry? Of course you do. Do I worry? Of course I do. So you could say, well, Hannibal, thanks for giving me the condition of my heart. 
Thanks for making my life miserable. How do I fix it, though? Oh, well, Jesus answers the second question, what can we do to deal with worry or anxiety? And what I love about this passage is that he's going to give us something that is extremely practical for us to actually apply today. The problem, though, is that it's so different to the way we would actually deal with our worriness. See, every time you are worried about something and every time you experience anxiety, there's this tendency in the human heart to find a way to get rid of those emotions. And as I said before, you can do that. So some of us use distractions, thinking that if you distract yourself, you won't be worried. Some of us use medicine, and I'm not saying that some people don't need medicine. What I'm saying is that not everyone needs medicine. Some of us try not to think, which is foolish because you cannot stop thinking. Some of us try to get busy, but that's ironic because the moment you stop being busy, everything comes back again. Some of us try to ignore it, but it's foolish because you cannot ignore it. And some of us even practice what the new age people are saying, positive thinking. But positive thinking doesn't fix, doesn't fix anything because the reality is still here. So the question is, what is Jesus about to give us that will help us deal with anxiety and worry? Once again, he's not giving us something to get rid of worry. He's giving us something to learn how to cope with worry. And this is what he says. Pay attention here really quick. Learn to stop and think. And all of us would say, that's not making sense. And that just proves the point that what Jesus gives is, is so different to what we all do. And I want to show you where I get that from. Three different verses. In verse 26, Jesus says, in the midst of anxiety or worry, Look at the birds. Now, the word look there is to pay close attention to the point that you are impacted by the thing you're looking at. In verse 28, it says, see how the flowers. The word see there is to think hard in order to understand. Verse 33, he says, seek First, his kingdom and his righteousness. And the word seek there is to look, to search, until you desire the thing you're seeking for. Look, see, seek. Let me give you a synonym of the word worry. Distractions. The reason why we struggle with anxiety is because we have divided attentions. Because we are distracted by so many things. Let me give you a synonym of the word faith. Focus. You notice that in verse 30, Jesus calls the people that are struggling with anxiety and fear people of little faith. This doesn't have anything to do with the quality of your faith or the quantity of your faith. When the Bible calls us to exercise faith, it's talking about the object of our faith. If anxiety, if um, worry is lack of attention, 
Faith is to focus in the things that we need to focus, that being primarily God. When God calls us to exercise faith, he's calling us to focus on the God of the Bible, to pay close attention to him, to think hard, to look for him, to see him, to search for him. To focus on the God that gives us value, to focus on the God that provides and cares, to focus on the God that works providentially, to focus on the God that is in absolute control of everything at all times. You either are distracted or you focus. Jesus says that the solution, the way we deal with our emotions is to think, look, see, and seek. Blaise Pascal used to say this, all men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. Here's another quote. I have often said that the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. You know what the problem is? We don't know how to stop. We don't stop to contemplate. We don't ponder about the, this beautiful Savior we have. This is part of the reason why church is so important. Why Sabbath is so important. Listen to Eugene Peterson on this one. Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities enough to see what God is doing. Did you know that the only way we learn to deal with our worry and anxiety is when we learn to stop, think, look, see, seek, focus on the God of the Bible? It is only when the God of the Bible is the, is the only object of our attention. The God of the book of Genesis that creates and controls everything by the power of his word. The God of Noah that is powerful enough to send a flood and merciful enough to save a family. The God of Abraham and Sarah that creates a baby inside a woman even when it was physically impossible for that to happen. It is only when we focus on the God of Jacob that chose him and used him even though he was a liar. It is only when we focus on the God of Joseph that even though he suffered, was rejected, sold into slavery, his God kept him and protected him for the sake of his people. It is only when we focus on the God of Moses, a weak and insecure man that was chosen and used by God to bring freedom for his people. It is only when we focus on the God of the Israelites that was faithful and patient even when his people were ungrateful and rebellious. It is only when we focus in the God of Joshua that brought his people into the promised land and gave them victory over their enemies. It is only when we focus on the God of the book of Judges that time after time sent his messengers to keep his people from destruction. It is only when we focus on the God of Ruth, the God that uses, the God that uses a young immigrant girl to make her the mother of a great dynasty. It is only when we focus on the God of Hannah, the God that listens to the prayers of a broken woman, 
It is only when we focus on the God of David, the God that turns a little kid into a great king. It is only when we focus on the God of Nehemiah, the God that rebuilds a city. It is only when we focus on the God of Esther, a God that uses a courageous woman to defend his people. It is only when we focus on the God of Job, the God that breaks and restores. It is only when we focus on the God of the prophets, the God that never stops talking to his people. It is only when we focus on the God of Daniel, the God that is always present even in a den of lions. It is only when we focus on the God of the disciples, broken and educated and weak men and women that transformed the world with the message of the gospel. It is only and only when we focus on the God that is Jesus, the one that even though experienced worry and anxiety, he got never distracted, even though he knew what was coming. It is only when we focus on that God, the God Jesus, that was willing to go to the cross and never got distracted. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, went to the cross. Do you know what was Jesus' joy? You. It was only you. The reason why he endures the cross and absorbs the shame is because of you. He never lost his focus. Because you needed to be forgiven and you needed to be accepted. That's the reason why the same author calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This is the same reason why Paul in Colossians chapter 3 calls us to set our hearts on the things above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God. See, if you want God to be the object of your faith, even when you experience worry, you must focus on Jesus. He is the object of your, of your faith. We must stop, think, look, see, and seek for the one that stopped, looked, and sought for us. Or sought us. That is the only way we experience freedom from worry. That is the only way we experience freedom from anxiety. Do you worry? Of course you worry. But remember, God cares for you. You're valuable to him. Do you worry? Of course you worry. But you have a God that works providentially and provides for you. Do you worry? Of course you worry. But your God is in control of everything you go through. Do you worry? Of course you worry, but you're never alone. God in Jesus is Emmanuel, God with you, and he's good. Do you worry? Of course I worry, but that's why my focus must be Jesus. Amen? Buddy, we pray. Lord, we confess that we are people that struggle with the emotions of anxiety and worry. This is just what it means to be a human being, fallen creature. Lord, and even though we understand that we cannot get rid of those emotions, we also understand that Jesus gave us the answer how to deal with those emotions. 
Please, Lord, make it happen. Make it possible for us to focus in you and you alone. Lord, please forgive us every time we try to be in control. Please forgive us every time we forget that we're valuable. Please forgive us, Lord, every time we forget that you care and provide. We want to know you. Please make it happen. By the power of your spirit that lives in us, please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, can you please stand? Let's receive the blessing that the Lord Jesus guarantees for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, have a blessed day. Thanks for coming. We love you.